and welcome to another teaching by 119 Ministries. Our ministry teaches that the whole Bible is true and applicable for our lives today. If you would like to know more about what we believe and teach, please visit us at testeverything.net. We hope that you enjoy studying and testing the following teaching. Listen very carefully to the word of Yahweh through Isaiah in one of the most prophetically revealing verses in Scripture. We're going to take you through one of the most missed insights related to biblical prophecy. Isaiah 46, verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Not only is the end declared in the beginning, but all of Yahweh's purpose is also declared. Wow! Can you imagine understanding all of Yahweh's purpose for us by understanding what is declared in the beginning? Do you want to know all of Yahweh's purpose? What are His plans? You know, a lot of people attempt to understand the end by studying Revelation or the words of our Messiah or the prophets, and that is great. A lot can be understood through those means. But how many of us start in the beginning? Isaiah states that the beginning reveals all of Yahweh's purpose. That sounds important, does it not? So, where is the beginning? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Genesis chapter 1, we are presented with the beginning of everything that defines our reality. We are presented with everything that Yahweh created. Have you ever stopped to consider why Yahweh put everything in place in the order and timing that he did? Isaiah suggests that it is important to consider, so let's figure it out. In the beginning, we are presented with a specific detail and order of creation comprising of 34 verses in the English version of the Bible. It basically looks something like this. Day 1, light and darkness are separated. Day 2, sea and earth are divided. Day 3, the establishment of the seed that bears fruit. Day 4, the bringing forth of the sun, moon, and stars, and the sun rules over the day. Day 5, birds and fish come into the picture. Day 6, Man is created to rule over creation, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Day 7, the Sabbath rest is established and set apart for man. So, right there we just read the complete prophetic plan for Yahweh's purpose of man. It is all right there according to Isaiah. We just read the beginning, and now we should understand the beginning to the end. In case you don't see it, 
Don't worry, it's not that obvious on the surface, but it soon will be. While each day in creation is a literal day, as each day in creation has a literal evening and morning, the prophetic nature of creation is unlocked through the use of a common prophetic timing mechanism. Prophetically, each literal day of creation becomes individual 1,000-year periods or increments. So, we need to explain where this idea comes from. In 2 Peter, we see that in the context of the day of the Lord, the teaching of a day being 1,000 years long is revealed. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8-10 through 10 reads, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Also see Psalm 90 verse 4, which is where likely Peter picked up this idea. Peter reveals this day is a thousand years understanding in the context of creation to address skeptics ridiculing how long it is taking for the end to arrive. Let's read 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7. through seven. Now this is the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things were continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And by that, by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So, in the context of Peter revealing the day is a thousand years principle, he also notes that the earth, land, and water was created on a certain day, and interestingly enough, the world was also destroyed by water. Why is that important? Peter hints at a relationship as to what occurred in the beginning and the prophetic revealing of what was to happen and what will still happen later, just like Isaiah said. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. So, would this suggest that each day of creation points to a significant prophetic event in Yahweh's purpose for man? It would seem so. While mostly forgotten today, the day is a thousand years principle was better understood a couple thousand years ago. For example, the Epistle of Barnabas, 15, 3-5. He speaks of the Sabbath at the beginning of the creation. 
And God made in six days the works of his hands, and on the seventh day he made an end, and he rested on the seventh day, and he sanctified it. Consider, my children, what this signifies, that he made an end in six days. The meaning of it is this, that in six thousand years the Creator will bring all things to an end, for with him one day is a thousand years. He himself testifies, saying, Behold, the day of the Lord shall be as a thousand years. Therefore, children, in six days, that is in six thousand years, all things shall be accomplished. And he rested on the seventh day. He means this, that when his son shall come, he will destroy the season of the wicked one, and will judge the godless, and will change the sun and the moon and the stars, and then he will truly rest on the seventh day. Iranius trained by Polycarp, who was trained by John, who wrote the book of Revelation. For in as many days as this world was made, in so many thousand years shall it be concluded. This is an account of the things formerly created, as also it is a prophecy of what is to come. For the day of the Lord is as a thousand years, and in six days created things were completed. It is evident, therefore, that they will come to an end at this six thousandth year. And Methodius in 300 AD. For in six days God made the heaven and earth, and finished the whole world, and blessed the seventh day, and sanctified it. So by a figure in the seventh month, when the fruits of the earth have been gathered in, we are commanded to keep the feast to the Lord, which signifies that when this world shall be terminated at the seven thousand years, when God shall have completed the world, he shall rejoice in us. Then when the appointed times shall have been accomplished, and God shall have ceased to form this creation, in the seventh month, the great resurrection day, it is commanded that the feast of our tabernacles shall be celebrated to the Lord. So while the day as a thousand years and the end is revealed from the beginning principles were well understood so many years ago, many still miss that Peter was revealing more than that. Peter also applied that all of Yahweh's purpose for man was to be revealed in creation, not just the end. Peter showed how the second day of creation, in which water and earth was separated, was also related to Noah and the flood. Using that principle exampled by Peter, we should be able to find a significant prophetic event in creation for every day or thousand years for a man. So, let's begin. Day 1 Genesis chapter 1, 3-5 through five. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So there was evening, and there was morning one day. On day one of creation, light and darkness were separated. What does light and darkness metaphorically represent in Scripture? You already know the answer. Light and darkness represent good and evil, righteousness and lawlessness. What happened during the first 1,000 years of man? Adam and Eve ate from the tree of good and evil, introducing sin or darkness into man. From that day forward, both good and evil, righteousness and lawlessness have existed in man, separating light from darkness. 
The separation of good and evil in man was the fulfillment of day one of creation. Day two. Genesis chapter 1, 6 through 10. God said, Let there be a dome in the middle of the water. Let it divide the water from the water. God made the dome and divided the water under the dome from the water above the dome. That is how it was, and God called the dome sky. There was evening and there was morning a second day. God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered together into one place, and let dry land appear. And that is how it was. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the water he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Peter already revealed this creation prophecy to us, relating it back to Noah. In creation, there was only water, and then dry land appeared. Sound familiar? In the second 1,000 years of man, we have the event of Noah and the ark. The earth was flooded, completely covered by water. Dry land eventually appeared. Noah and the flood was the fulfillment of day two of creation. Day three. Genesis chapter 1, 11-13 God said, Let the earth put forth grass, seed-producing plants and fruit trees, each yielding its own kind of seed-bearing fruit on the earth. And that is how it was. The earth brought forth grass, plants, each yielding its own kind of seed, and trees, each producing its own kind of seed-bearing fruit. And God saw that it was good. So there was evening and there was morning, a third day. The focus of day three is that the land is bringing forth seed that yields more like-kind seed and even more like-kind seed. What happened in the third day of man as it metaphorically relates to land and seed? What do you think when you think of the land, the multiplication of seed, and faith? Perhaps Abraham? Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. And in your offspring, or seed in some translations, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Genesis 26, verse 4. I will multiply your offspring, your seed, as the stars of heaven, and will give to you, your offspring, all these lands. There's the land connection. And in your offspring, or seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 35, 12. The land, there's the land connection again, that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. And I will give the land to your offspring after you. And there's the seed connection. Abraham's seed and the promised land was the fulfillment of day three of creation. Day four. Genesis chapter one. God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs, seasons, days, and years. And let them be for lights in the dome of the sky to give light to the earth. And that is how it was. God made the two great lights, the larger light to rule the day and the smaller light to rule the night and the stars. God put them in the dome of the sky to give light to the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So there was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. The light of the earth, the sun, was created on the fourth day. 
The end of the fourth day was the arrival of our Messiah. Our Messiah is metaphorically related to the Son. Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Some might take issue with the Messiah being metaphorically represented as the Son, but even the rabbis understood Malachi 4.2 to be messianic in nature. It says, If you lend money to any of my people, even to the poor with you, you shall not be to him a creditor. But if you transgress these commands, I will hand over two pledges, as it says, If you at all take your neighbor's garment to pledge, habol tabol. Moses asked, Shall they remain in pledge forever? God replied, No, only until the Son, S-U-N, appears, that is, till the coming of the Messiah. For it says, For unto you who fear my name shall the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness arise with healing in its wings. Quoting Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. Just as the Son is to be the light of the world, removing darkness, so is the Messiah. John 12, 46. I, Messiah Yeshua, have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness, separating the light from the darkness. Our Messiah was the fulfillment of day four of creation. Day five, Genesis chapter one, 20 through 23. God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures or fish, let birds fly above the earth in the open dome of the sky. God created the great sea creatures and every living thing that creeps, so that the water swarmed with all kinds of them. And there was every kind of winged bird, and God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the water of the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. So there was evening, and there was morning, a fifth day. On the fifth day of creation, fish and birds are somehow of particular importance. The fish and birds were to multiply. In the New Testament, the Brit Hadashah, men are equated to fish. Matthew 4, 19. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. The Holy Spirit is represented as a dove, a bird. John chapter 1, verse 32. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. When we come into the faith, we receive the Spirit, thus multiplying it in men. Our Messiah arrived at the end of the fourth day. Fishing for men and the receiving and multiplying of the Spirit, the dove, began to start at the fifth day. John chapter 7, verse 39. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Yeshua was not yet glorified. And then we see this take place. Acts chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, at the beginning of the fifth day. When the day of Pentecost arrived, Shavuot, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Fishing for men, or creating disciples, and multiplying of the Spirit fulfilled the fifth day of creation. Day 6 Genesis chapter 1, verses 28 through 31. God blessed them. God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, and every living creature that crawls on the earth. Then God said, Here, throughout the whole earth, I am giving you as food every seed-bearing plant and every tree with seed-bearing fruit. And to every wild animal, bird in the air, and creature crawling on the earth, in which there is a living soul. I am giving as food every kind of green plant. And that is how it was. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So there was evening and there was morning, a sixth day. On the sixth day, man was created with the intent of multiplying and filling the earth, while at the same time, ruling over it. That brings us to the modern age, And there is no question that man has filled the earth. The population growth curve speaks for itself, as you can see here. Man has achieved an unprecedented mastery over creation. Man multiplying and filling the earth and subduing it fulfills the sixth day of creation. With that, we are left with the only day of creation that, according to Hebrews chapter 4, we are still waiting for. Hebrews 4, chapter 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Day 7. Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The author of Hebrews also had this in mind when he instructed that the seventh day of the week pictures the millennial rule of our Messiah. This day will occur after Christ's intervention and will last a thousand years. The 1,000-year reign of our Messiah is the future fulfillment of the seventh day of creation, or lack of creation, our Sabbath rest. There you have it. The 7,000-year complete plan of Yahweh for man, revealing the end from the beginning. So, if you have done the math, it is possible that many watching this video could be alive to see the final day fulfilled. How exciting is that? The first seven days of the existence of this world also prophetically reveals the first 7,000 years. For more details on this subject, especially as it relates to the fourth day and seventh days of creation, we would recommend the following teachings. Number one, the fourth and seventh day, which has two parts to it, and Hebrews 4, and his rest now or later. Want more? Let's discuss the Exodus prophecy. We are going to assume that you know the details of the story of the Exodus. First, we have the Passover lamb slain. Then Israel wanders in the desert for 40 years, led by Moses. Finally, Joshua, Yehoshua, leads Israel into the promised land. 
Just as a day equals a thousand years in some prophetic patterns, the Jubilee period as a unit of 50 years can also be relevant. For example, Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. Then Yahweh said, My spirit shall not abide in, or contend with, man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. While the ESV states abide in, many lexicons provide contend with as an alternate translation, if not a more likely translation. Yahweh states that he will not contend with man forever, but only 120 years. While contend means to strive or buy in, contest, or rivalry, or against difficulties, struggle, to strive in, Debate, argue, maintain, assert. Yahweh has certainly been contending with man for more than 120 years. However, if we look through the prophetic lens as jubilee units, we arrive to 6,000 years. Meaning this, there are 6,000 years in which Yahweh will strive with or contend with man. But at the end of 6,000 years, that ends. There are six days of man, and on the seventh day, Yahweh will reign through Yeshua as king on earth for the last day, 1,000 years. The prophetic jubilee units of 50 are hidden numerous times in the scriptures. As another example, John chapter 2, verse 20. The Jews then asked, taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? 46 years. It doesn't sound important on the surface, but that detail is provided for a reason. Just like we multiplied 120 times 50 to yield 6,000 years, multiply 46 years times a jubilee unit of 50, and then you see the number 2,300. 2,300 is an important number in the book of Daniel, specific to the matters of the future temple restoration. And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. That is not an accident. The context is similar. So how does this prophetic unit of Jubilees relate to the Exodus? Messiah Yeshua, or Jesus, is the prophet likened unto Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. There are numerous parallels between Moses and Yeshua, and we discuss many of those parallels in other teachings. However, we are only going to touch on what is necessary for the purpose of the Exodus prophecy. Yeshua died at Passover. Moses led Israel into the wilderness after Passover. After Yeshua's resurrection, he ascended, and since then we have all been scattered into the wilderness while still following the teachings of our Messiah. For almost 2,000 years, we have been in this situation, waiting to enter the promised land at Yeshua's return, in which we will all be resurrected or changed and rest with Him. Moses was leading Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years times a prophetic jubilee unit is also exactly 2,000 years. 2,000 years is two days in prophetic days. Hosea chapter 6, verse 2. After two days, he will revive us, resurrection. On the third day, he will raise us up, resurrection, so we may live, resurrection, before him. After two days, or 2,000 years, we have a resurrection to look forward to. Going back to Moses, 
who led Israel into the promised land after the 40 years? Joshua did. Do you know that Joshua in Hebrew is Yehoshua, or in Aramaic it is Yeshua? It's the same name as our Messiah. That is not a coincidence. Our Messiah, Yeshua, or Yehoshua, will also lead us into the promised land following our 2,000 years in the wilderness, just like the whole situation with Moses and Israel in the wilderness. Most understand how the Passover that launched the Exodus was symbolically related to Messiah Yeshua in the first century, but it did not stop there. The Exodus prophecy is still in process, but closing and the time might be short. For those of you grabbing the calculators and trying to do the math, as revealed in our Time or Creator's Calendar, the Foundation teaching series, we believe Yeshua died and rose in 30 AD. A literal 2,000 years following that moment would be the year 2030. This, of course, assumes exact precision in the prophetic timing of the days as a thousand years. So 2030 is just a little bit presumptuous. In several instances in the creation prophecy, we see that the prophetic event only occurred during that day, not exactly at the start or end of a day. So 2030 might be the earliest Yeshua could return, but it could still well be beyond that year. One could argue that if the reign of the Messiah and the day of the Lord is exactly 1,000 years, then of course precision and timing might be certain. While that might be true, we would urge caution on placing too much confidence in that assumption. We hope that you have enjoyed the revealing of the creation prophecy and the Exodus prophecy. And remember, continue to test everything. Shalom. It is because of you, our generous supporters, who make it possible to offer these high-quality teachings completely free of charge. If you feel led to support 119 Ministries so that we can continue this effort, please visit testeverything.net and click on the Support 119 tab. Learn how you can partner with us to take the whole Word of God to the nations.